The community that's on SoundCloud is a really, a really special community. And the one thing that kind of makes SoundCloud a special company is that we fully acknowledge that without that community, we essentially have nothing. And so we really try and put that community at like the forefront of everything that we do, just on the product side, on the business side of things. And there's a super active musician community on SoundCloud. And one of the things that I'm starting to get really excited about is watching the podcasters community start to grow and learn to interact with each other right on SoundCloud. And I think developing that community is probably the thing that gets me the most excited about my job and the work that we're doing. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Our guest today is Jamie Katsufas. Jamie is an audio content manager for SoundCloud. SoundCloud is an online distribution platform where individuals can create sounds and share them everywhere. Jamie's also a radio producer and a musician. He loves stories. He loves music. Speaking of music, Jamie is in a band called The Proofs. Jamie, it's a pleasure to have you. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jared. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Oddly enough, ironically, everybody I ask on this show, I always ask the same question. What is the best concert that you have ever been to? Oh, geez. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to go with my first concert, which was, I am indebted to my parents for making this my first concert, but it was actually (laughs) Bob Dylan and Paul Simon. So I think that was probably my best concert. (laughs) How old were you in that? I think I was still maybe elementary school. So maybe like fifth grade or something like that. But um, yeah, I was basically raised on like Rhythm of the Saints and Graceland. So getting to go see that happen live was a really cool experience, especially also like having that as your first concert. (laughs) No kidding. So even at that age, you could appreciate magnitude of what was going on. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, so let's roll into blank versus blank. I'm going to give you a couple options if you'd be willing to pick one and a short reason why. And the first one is, would you rather live in Boston versus San Francisco? Oh, geez. Okay. (laughs) All right. So for those who don't know, I grew up in Boston and went to school in Boston. So I spent, let's see, the first 22 years of my life in the Boston area. And then I went to Singapore for a year and a half. And then now I've been in San Francisco for the past three years. God, that's a really tough question. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say, I mean, I'd probably have to pick San Francisco because that's where I am now. Yeah, when I moved out here, I was definitely looking for a change of pace and to be in a city and a culture that kind of embraces the arts and diversity of thinking and, you know, just a diversity of culture. So that's sort of what I was looking for when I came out here. And I'd say I definitely found that. Absolutely. But that's not, that's not to throw Boston under the bus. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. All right, so I'm going to ask this. Do you feel like San Francisco has enough good live music compared to Boston? Compared to Boston, yeah. I fully admit I haven't done the best job at exploring the live scene here too much. One thing I have noticed, which I was sort of surprised about, is it's a little bit harder than I was expecting to like connect to a local music scene in San Francisco and people who are more up on trends and reasons for trends like these could probably give you a more articulate and intelligent explanation. But I would think one of the factors is just the fact that since uh, cost of living is getting so ridiculous in San Francisco, just rent prices and all that it's forcing a lot of the less affluent but possibly more creative musicians further away from the city itself so 60s and 70s you had that you know the heart of that culture right downtown or (laughs) right in the city right in the hate or wherever now it's kind of getting pushed further up maybe towards oakland 
Yeah, so it has a good music scene compared to Boston. I recently went to Chicago for the first time, and I really love my experience there. And compared to what I found in Chicago, I'd say San Francisco maybe could do a little bit better, but that's partially on me too. <laughs> oh, fair enough. All right, so and in fairness, you have a lot on your plate. You're doing a lot of stuff. So, so let's do a, a true or false real quick. Being the audio content manager for SoundCloud gives your band the proofs an unfair marketing advantage. <laughs> That's a totally fair question. I'd say the only unfair marketing advantage we've gotten is just I deal with the platform every day and I have people that are in my personal network that have just tremendous knowledge about how the platform works and how to make the most of your profile and stuff. To be honest, I haven't done a whole lot of marketing of, of my personal van just because we recorded our first EP uh, two weekends ago. So we're still working on <laughs> getting our material out there. But no, it doesn't give me any unfair uh, legs up in terms of promotion or anything like that. So yeah. <laughs> our listeners may or may not believe that. We shall see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you start seeing the proofs everywhere, then you can start getting suspicious. But <laughs> until then. It's got Jamie. He, he did a great job. <laughs> All right, let's go to finish this sentence. And the first finish this sentence, I'm going to give you the beginning of the sentence if you'd complete it. The first one is, if you ever go to social media marketing world, blank. Okay. So if you ever go to social media marketing world, I'd say read through the schedule as closely as possible. There's just an absurd amount of panels and just very, very knowledgeable people. And just know you're not going to hit them all and just make sure that you uh, go to those panels and then figure out whether it's the person sitting next to you, whether it's the person leading the panel, figure out one person that you really want to try and make a connection with and tweet at them, talk to them, get LinkedIn, do all that stuff. But um, yeah, I'd say just try and focus as much as you can because there is just so much stuff there. That's good advice. All right. The last to finish this sentence. My favorite thing about being on a webinar with John Lee Dumas is... Oh, the energy. That's an easy one. Yeah. John and his community, they just... It's a tremendous group of people that he's brought together. And John's just super enthusiastic and fired up about everything podcasting and entrepreneur and business related. So yeah, it's just... It's infectious to be able to be in that sort of environment and then talk about a platform and a product that you feel personally involved with and passionate about. And yeah, it's just great. All right, Jamie, so one of the reasons I want to have you on the show is obviously I want to talk SoundCloud, but before we talk SoundCloud, I really want to talk about music because I'm passionate about music, you're very passionate about music, but you're also a professional, so let's talk a little bit about music. In your own experience, what is music to you and then how does it affect you as an individual? Oh, <laughs> those are some big questions. So the first was how... Sorry, you just repeat what, it, what is what is music to you? Yeah. Start there. Okay, so music to me, I mean, I guess I have to kind of break it down as a listener and a fan. I mean, yeah, so as a listener and a fan, I think it's a way to kind of, yeah, set the mood and connect to a culture. I mean, it's hard to, to answer that in a succinct way because I think music touches so many parts of life. And for me, it's, it's honestly fundamental. You know, my girlfriend always makes fun of me because every time we get in the car, we can't move until I figure out exactly what I want listen to and <laughs> so yeah i think the great thing about music is it's it can hold so many contradicting things and feelings and ideas in place at the same time so like i'm a huge blues fan and a huge kind of like a traditional american music guy and think about that sort of music and when it was being created and 
30s, 40s, 50s, etc. It was almost hyper-local in that there's a difference between Texas blues versus Delta blues versus Chicago blues. Like they all have, they're built off the same kind of universal one, four, five chord structures and that sort of stuff. But the flavor and the inflection and the groove, you know, all those things are going to be specific to the locality and they kind of tell the story of the peer group of the people who are playing with each other. But then it connects you to a local culture. It connects you to a very specific time and place. But then people like me, almost 100 years later, are listening to this music and connecting to those universal aspects about it. And I don't know, it's just so broad and so rich and fulfilling. I don't know, that's not a very specific answer, but I think that's what it means to me. And as a creator, it's being able to then also kind of take that information and form and process your own identity around it. If you and your girlfriend were sitting in the car right now, what song would she be waiting for you to hit play on? I've been really into um, John Lee Hooker's, I'm going to forget the actual title, but I think it's like On the Waterfront or something like that. It's this really kind of ballady, like real slow ballady blues where he's just really showcases the depth and the vibrato in his vocals. And then he's doing this kind of like really soft, fast strumming on the guitar. And I don't know, it's, it's a really powerful song. Oh, Cover in the Waterfront. That's what it's called. All right. A little homework for the listeners there. Yeah. In your opinion, what makes good music? If the person who's making it feels it, that's what makes good music. I think you can always tell as as a listener and as the person performing it. If you're singing something that you actually feel and that you're giving it your all, that's what makes it good, you know. And then what the differences in style and all that stuff, that's down to personal taste. But I I think that's probably the most fundamental thing there. I'm going to agree with that. (laughs) I have a three-year-old daughter and she's not the best singing voice yet, but she sings Frozen in the car and she's feeling it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There you go. It's like, hey, I'm going to let her do her thing. All right. So you mentioned creation earlier or creators and let's talk about that for a second. What are your everyday inspirations to create a song? John Lee Hooker, for sure. (laughs) But I think I kind of, like I said, when I'm thinking about writing songs and and creating content, I always try and start from, I think this is probably age old advice that you hear, even like authors talk about this, but you know, you kind of write what you know. And I'm certainly not the typical like blues man. I think there's parts of, you know, the human struggle and struggles with being a man, being a person in the world, just trying to make your way, make sense of the chaos around you. I think those are pretty universal things. And you can start with the music, you can start with the lyrics, but both of those things usually stem from some sort of emotion or mood. And so I think that's where I usually start. You mentioned going to the concert when you're in fifth grade. So about what age were you when you discovered that you were musically inclined? Oh, I remember in fourth grade, it's probably even earlier than that. I mean, I've always been obsessed with the guitar. I remember, I think it, let's see, it might have been first or second grade. I uh, got, there's this toy called the Hot Licks guitar. And I was super excited about that when I got that for Christmas. But it was, you know, one of these things where you push a button and it plays a riff and then you push a different button and it plays another riff. But yeah, so I was always pretty jazzed about it. My parents were always very supportive of encouraging me to take piano lessons Actually, yeah, that's probably where it all started was in first grade when on the school, uh, the classroom piano, some kid started playing Heart and Soul and I realized I was digging the melody and had no idea how to create it. And that was always the song that people would do the duet. So one person would do the low bass chord progression and then someone would play the melody. And I don't know, like, I think it was probably a two part thing there where it's uh, being drawn to just the ability to make music. And then I think that's the other most amazing thing about music for me is kind of the community that forms around it. And being able to share that experience with someone else is, I think, really one of the most powerful things. And and that happens, obviously, within a band, but it, it also kind of happens between the fan and, and the musician themselves, too. So both very powerful things. 
Do you read music or play by ear? If you asked me in high school, I'd say I'd, I'd read music. These days, I mostly play by ear. I lost a lot of my theory over the years, which is unfortunate. But All right. How did you form your band and how did you guys meet? Yeah. So one of the guys that I write and sing with, we met in college, actually. And he was one year ahead of me. And we actually reconnected after school when we realized we were both living in San Francisco and doing songwriting stuff. So yeah, we kind of took a, a year and a half to write up a solid catalog of songs. And then we just found a third band member kind of through Friends of Friends. And yeah, we've been all kind of writing and singing and playing ever since. Okay, so you've written a lot of songs. What has the most impact or has had the greatest story in your songwriting? You mean in terms of like the content and the songwriting yeah. stuff? Yeah, I think the song that I am most proud of as like a songwriter is a song that I wrote called Everything I Do. This is like me first. Did, did Brian Adams rip you off? Oh, no. <laughs> no okay. I wasn't aware. Maybe I uh, did the <laughs> Jungian collective subconscious or whatever it is. <laughs> Maybe I, I ripped him <laughs> off or something. But yeah, so this is a song that I wrote when I was kind of first teaching myself how to do fingerstyle guitar. So with like, you know, the alternating bass line with the thumb and stuff and then playing a melody that accompanies my vocals. So the actual music and song structure was simple in principle, but to actually do it, it took me a little while to train myself how to do it. But then the verses themselves kind of go through this progression. It's a murder, revenge, ballad type of thing. But it kind of takes you through like a nice story of you realize that this guy's girlfriend or lover has been killed and now he's on a path of vengeance and it gives you some context and stuff. I, don't know, I think it's one of those, one of the few songs that I've written that actually kind of has a clear like narrative arc and coming from traditional American folk music and blues, like storytelling is a big part of that. Yeah, I feel like that was kind of my first like moment of like, okay, yeah, I feel pretty confident and I feel like I did a, a decent job writing this one. So. I'm going to take a wild guess that that is your girlfriend's favorite song. Uh, yeah, she does like it. <laughs> she does like it. Um, that was one of those songs where I kind of started of like, I think I'd been watching a lot of Deadwood. I don't know if you're familiar with that HBO show. It's Western. I've heard of it. Okay, yeah. yeah. Great show. But so I was like thinking of like, okay, like scenarios of justifiable violence. Like when do I think I would ever like be pushed to a situation where I'd actually like kill somebody and I'd be like, yeah, someone killed my girlfriend. That would probably be... <laughs> But then, like, in the song, it talks about, like, of course, there's the unavoidable consequences and all that stuff. So, anyway, okay. yeah. <laughs> well, let the record show that if you ever do anything violent or crazy, uh, this podcast might have been premeditated for this. <laughs> <laughs> this could be used against you, Jamie. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, so let, let's talk SoundCloud. I'm very interested in what you're doing with SoundCloud. So would you be willing to share how you got into SoundCloud? Yeah, of course. And it's, I mean, it's actually fitting that we started with music stuff because so I um, first became aware of the platform and the product as a musician, as I think probably most people do at this point, people kind of most widely know it as a music sharing platform for musicians that kind of want to upload their content and get their stuff out there. So I joined back in let's see, I think 2009 or 2010. And it was actually when I was preparing to move to Singapore. I was doing some actually electronic songwriting and composing with one of my friends in Boston. And so I joined the platform to be able to share those tracks so that we could give each other feedback, but also like kind of keep each other accountable so that we kept writing songs and kept doing music, even though we were opposite sides of the world. 
so I kind of came to SoundCloud through that. And then I started kind of getting into the blogging world and then realized, you know, how amazing and easy it is to embed the player on blogs and social networks and stuff. And then three years ago, when I moved out here to kind of break into the public radio space and kind of make a go of it as an independent journalist, radio journalist, I noticed that SoundCloud was doing some really interesting projects with one of the local public radio stations here. And when I saw kind of all of those worlds coming into one company, I realized it was something that I should probably invest some serious research time and professional career stuff into. So yeah, I reached out to one of my current colleagues and kind of asked him to got some information where the company was headed. And basically just the more I learned about it, the more I got excited about it. So yeah, so that's how it all started. And now I'm here and still feel just absolutely lucky to be working for such a great company and working in such a exciting field like podcasting and on demand audio. I think it's a really exciting time to be part of this world. I think the technology and all the social structure that's built up around it, it's going to be a really exciting next couple of years for sure. So you've worked with musicians and, and obviously SoundCloud is incredible and I don't think anybody that's listening to this is going to argue that. I'm curious, you know, now all of a sudden you're seeing other opportunities, like you said, on-demand audio, podcasting, and your passion is very clear in music. What are ways that podcasting is similar to music in the terms of audiences or fan bases or I don't know, what, what are some similarities that you've seen? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the community thing is kind of the most obvious part of it is, you know, like I was saying, when you're in a band, you know, you get a great sense of community from the immediate members, but then people who listen to your music, they feel really deeply connected to that content. And it kind of allows like the form music allows you to kind of incorporate it into other parts of life and kind of in the same way, um, audio fills a very similar need and builds a very similar community around it. People who listen to podcasts, people who listen to radio, they're super passionate about those shows, about that content. And you hear this a lot in the public radio world, as well as in the podcast podcasting world that while the scale, the actual numbers might not be as huge as like for television or something like that. But, you know, the people who actually will come to a live performance of like a radio show or a podcast and show up and donate to a station, donate to a podcast. It's just it's a very special, dedicated community. And I think it speaks a lot to the way that the content and the people who are creating that content really connect with their fans and their listeners. Yeah, I think that's probably it. And then the reason why I am in interested in both of those worlds is they're very different things. Writing a song versus creating a really interesting piece of journalism or creating like a really cap- really interesting interview where you're talking about kind of intellectual subjects. I think... <laughs> They're, like like murder yeah. and songwriting. Well, so I mean, like that's sort of one of my own personal struggles. Is I was a philosophy major, and so I like to try and uh, incorporate some of those big ideas into basically every part of my life. But a, a three, four minute song is not necessarily the time or place to be getting into a highly intellectual discussion about the nature of violence and the potential benefit or not of that. Whereas a format like a podcast or like a radio piece, you can tackle those subjects still in a very creative way, still in a way that you reach listeners and kind of trigger people's imaginations and trigger thought within people, but it's a very different vehicle. (laughs) 
So as a podcaster, I'm obviously very interested in what SoundCloud is doing with podcasts. What are you able to share with the listeners today about where SoundCloud is with podcasts and what opportunities are available? Yeah, sure. So I think the big picture here of where we see our, where we think we'll be able to kind of contribute to the podcasting world is our platform. We've kind of built all of the technology around it under the premise that we kind of started from this back in 2008, 2007. It wasn't super easy to share audio content with anybody. (laughs) Um, So we kind of started with this, okay, let's create a site where it's really easy to send a piece of audio from one person to another, and then you can leave each other feedback and just, you don't have to download it. You can just hit play and do all those things. And the way it's kind of evolved is we've now built these integrations with social networks where you can just copy paste the SoundCloud URL and it embeds a player right in that social network. So your fans don't have to leave or they don't have to subscribe to anything. They literally just scroll through their Facebook page, see a play button, hit it, and then they can consume your content. And so it's that sort of innovation that's kind of driven a lot of the technology that we've built and also kind of the areas that we've gone into. And so within the podcasting world specifically, the moment, the way things are, you know, iTunes is absolutely the default podcast consumption platform for everyone. I'm sure people have probably better statistics on like what percentage iTunes actually represents, but it's definitely where people know to go to consume a podcast right now. But if you think about like the actual effort that it requires to subscribe to and listen to a podcast, you have to like find the URL for that podcast directory. You have to subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't already downloaded iTunes, you need to download iTunes. Then you need to download whatever episode of that podcast you're interested in. And then if there's like a specific point that you want to share, you have to say, okay, now go to minute five or whatever. So there are a lot of steps that are involved that are required to actually consume the content. And so we're going off of the idea that we want people to be able to reach their audience everywhere that they are. I think it's really important to provide RSS feeds to podcasters. So that's one of the things that we allow podcasters to do on our platform. But in terms of where we ultimately want to see the podcasting world going, you think look at trends towards mobile, you look at trends towards cloud-based storage and streaming as opposed to downloading. And all of those indicators are kind of pointing towards a very radically different world and a radically different definition of what a podcast actually is. I think right now, like I said, a lot of people podcast is synonymous with iTunes, is synonymous with RSS feeds. But I think in the next year, two years, we'll see a lot of changes there. And I think, does a podcast need to be downloaded in order for it to be a podcast? Does a podcast need to be in iTunes for it to be a podcast? Does it need to be delivered via RSS to be a podcast? Those are sort of all the questions that we're playing around with. And we don't want to rule anything out. We don't want anyone to have to sacrifice audiences and anything like that. But the benefit of having an active audience that's part of this social network that we've built SoundCloud around that's actively sharing to their own social networks on Facebook that are streaming as opposed to downloading. All of those things, they kind of power community, they power shareability. And for the podcast creator, it allows you to have a lot more information about who your listeners and who your audience actually is and how they're actually engaging with the content. So a lot of information in there, but that's sort of the gist of how we're kind of looking at the space and trying to push it forward. Well, I love how SoundCloud has done just an awesome job, whether it's music or podcasting. They've democratized this ability to upload audio and share it with whomever they want. And I think that's incredible and appreciate what SoundCloud's doing there. 
So I only have a few minutes left here, so we'll wrap this up. But I appreciate you sharing that. So circling back to music, if you had the chance to perform with a renowned fellow musician, who would it be and why? Oh, geez. He put me on the spot now. I have to think of who uh, active musicians I've listened to recently. I think I'd probably go with the Black Keys. I will couch that with, you know, I'm not as dedicated to their newer stuff as I am to their older stuff. But like those first three albums, I think they really hit a sweet spot of like blues and rock and roll that I think only a few bands that are currently active have really been able to achieve. So yeah, so I think I'd probably, if I could play bass for the Black Keys, if they'd let me in, that'd be pretty awesome. And the second part of that question is you get to pick the set list that's covered. So, all right, as we wrap up here, who is doing something that interests you? Anybody who's doing anything? It can be anything. Oh, wow. That is a big question. Let's see. Let's narrow it down within the music world, within the tech world. Anything? Yes. Oh, geez. (laughs) So as a, a musician that's not necessarily in my standard repertoire, but who I'm really interested in is a band called The Tune Yards that are Oakland based, but they've gotten pretty big over the past few years and gotten some national recognition. But I think they're a really interesting mix of rhythm and just really unique vocals. But also, if you listen to the melodies and like their bass player has got some really interesting, like kind of avant-garde jazz twists. So I think, yeah, I think I go with the tune yards for that one. All right. What is the best place for the listeners to connect with you online? I'd say SoundCloud, actually. That's probably the the site that I'm on the most on a daily basis. So it's soundcloud.com slash jcatsoup. So J, the letter J, C-A-T-S-O-U-P. That was the safe and correct answer. (laughs) All right. And finally, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think the community that's on SoundCloud is a really, a really special community. And the one thing that kind of makes SoundCloud a special company is that we fully acknowledge that without that community, we essentially have nothing. And so we really try and put that community at like the forefront of everything that we do, just on the product side, on the business side of things. And there's a super active musician community on SoundCloud. And one of the things that I'm starting to get really excited about is watching the podcasters community start to grow and learn to interact with each other right on SoundCloud. And I think developing that community is probably the thing that gets me the most excited about my job and the work that we're doing. If you have any questions about how to connect with podcasters on SoundCloud, I imagine Jared probably has some thoughts, but I'm always happy to talk about it as well. Excellent. Well, I'll put that in the show notes. Hey, Jamie, best wishes to you and your girlfriend and your band, The Proofs. Everybody check out The Proofs. And then everybody, the family at SoundCloud, thank you. All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the chance to get in and talk with you. platform. We've kind of built all of the technology around it under the premise that we kind of started from this back in 2008, 2007. It wasn't super easy to share audio content with anybody. (laughs) Um, So we kind of started with this, okay, let's create a site where it's really easy to send a piece of audio from one person to another, and then you can leave each other feedback and just, you don't have to download it. You can just hit play and do all those things. And the way it's kind of evolved is we've now built these integrations with social networks where you can just copy paste a SoundCloud URL and it embeds a player right in that social network. So your fans don't have to leave or they don't have to subscribe to anything. They literally just scroll through their Facebook page, see a play button, hit it. 